I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to save. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father God, this morning I pray that my words align with the gospel. Father God, I pray that our hearing aligns with the gospel. And I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you work in us this word, Father God, so that our lives tell the story of the good news. Let it be so in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2004, there's a fellow by the name of Frank Warren, and he created a website called postsecrets.com in which people could write on a postcard the secrets that they were caring for and for which they were feeling guilt. The idea originated as a project for an art exhibit, but within seven months, he already had over 2,000 postcards. Every week he received secrets in the form of postcards from all around the world. The website's still up and receiving new postings every week. In fact, it's the largest advertisement-free blog in the world. If you could write a confession about something in your life, or a secret, perhaps hidden, what might it be? And where would you send it? It's a thought, isn't it? Well, Jesus offers us a different solution. We're continuing our series entitled, On Earth as it is in Heaven, when Jesus was asked by the disciples to teach them how to pray. And his response was in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. We just read it, but we're going to hear it again. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. And we also, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. As we've looked at this prayer, I remember Brother Bill's uh, first sermon, and he said that this is a trellis on which our prayer life can grow, and that is the truth. But as I began to, to, to prepare these sermons, I began to see that, that this is not only a, a trellis for our prayer life to grow on, it, it is a correction of something on the inside of me, and that is that this prayer is not about getting things from God, but it's more along the lines of realigning me into right relationship with him. Today, we're going to be looking at, at a passage, forgive us our debts, but, but before we do, I want to recap. Last week we touched on give us this day our daily bread. Now I wasn't in here, but the points that I shared was uh, when we look at give us this day our daily bread, we're acknowledging that we have needs. We're acknowledging that we have needs that we can't fulfill in ourselves. We're acknowledging that we have needs that others can't meet and that there's only one that can meet all our needs. And his name is Jesus. The Bible says that God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So today we're going to be looking at forgive us our debts. And in Luke's uh, translation of this, it uses the word and. It, it, it reads like this. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. So it seems to tie the two together. And I think that's on purpose. In the same way that we realize that our lives depend daily on food, provision, and all the things that we need, we also have to acknowledge that we depend on continually being forgiven. 
We depend on connection with God. And the thing is, is we were really conscious about our need for daily bread. And this is the 11 o'clock service. And I know right now, even as we speak, some of your stomachs are growling. You're already contemplating how you're going to buffet your body. Uh, <laughs> you know, I understand. But, but the thing is, is a lot of times, as mindful as we are about our need for food, a lot of times we are not as mindful about our need for daily forgiveness. But Jesus said that we should pray, forgive us our debts. It's a very simple phrase, but it's at the core of our relationship with God. Because at the core of our very relationship with God is this one simple truth. There is a God. And we're not Him. Both debt and trespasses are used in, 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 in our translations of, of this passage. In Luke it says trespasses. Here in, in Matthew, it says debts. And, and when it looks at debts, it's talking about a legal debt. But if you really look at it in, in, the, in the everyday use of the word, it means a moral obligation. It, it, it means a moral obligation which we've missed and we have consequences that are pending. And when we talk about transgressions, it's talking about missing the mark. It's talking about drawing a line in the sand and stepping over it. We've transgressed. We've broken the line. And when we, when we do that... Really, the two of these are synonymous with one word that we don't like to use in church. Sin. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say sin. sin. Wow. Yeah, you said it with the right accent too. Sin. That's right. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's just where I came from. I can't help that. All right. You know, it's sin. And this is what Jesus is getting at. You know, and that, that trespasses in sin, uh, trespasses in debt. Are sin. Now there are many scriptures that, that describe sin, and there are many ways that we could try to define it. But I want to describe sin or define sin this morning as sin is getting our legitimate needs met in illegitimate and ultimately harmful ways. Sin refers to our rejection of God's loving authority and nature. It's self-imposed autonomy from God, which leaves us in bondage to our own destructive will. And when we're Left in that bondage, we are destined to hurt ourselves and to hurt others. So Jesus said to pray, forgive us our debts, or forgive us our trespasses, or forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who have sinned against us. So the first thing we need to know concerning this passage is this. We are all debtors. We are all sinners. Will Willimon in the book teaches to pray said that he had a friend who visited his wife who was an attorney in a bankruptcy court. When the judge came in, the bailiff stood and said, all debtors rise. Well, that's us. The Bible says it like this in Romans 3.23, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. We're all in debt, the debt of sin. Well, thank you, Pastor, for that wonderful word. I'm glad I came to church this morning. I feel so uplifted. I know some of y'all are going, I got out of bed for this. It's hard to hear, isn't it? And it's even harder to grasp, especially for those of us who are constantly being bombarded by secularism and post-Christian rhetoric. We are so confused with what it means to be sinners. And as a generation, we need to embrace this word more than those generations that have come before us. Not because we're more guilty, but because we don't know what to do with it or even why it's relevant. 
In our day and age, we don't see the arrogant, destructive nature within us. Our culture is working hard, on one hand, to remove biblical judgment of right and wrong from our lives, and on the other hand, it's introducing a more humanistic, better judgment at the same time. Sin is outdated. We consider the word sin out of fashion. We know there's a problem, but we feel like we can find a more sophisticated way to understand it. We have problems. We have addictions. We have sicknesses. We have natural dispositions. We may say, I don't feel that way, or that's not my truth. Or we may say that we're sinners, but we don't acknowledge our own personal sin. We may say that, I know the Bible teaches this, but it feels like a very outdated way of thinking about people and issues. But John says it like this in 1 John 8. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. John says, basically, beware. You don't want to admit it, and you won't want to admit it. It's natural to deceive yourself on this. You will hide from yourself how much you try to depend on yourself. You will hide from yourself how much you try to get your legitimate needs met illegitimately. And in the church, I'm going to go a little bit further and say a lot of times we'll get our, illegitimate, we'll get our legitimate needs met illegitimately and then say we're getting it met in Christ. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, <clears throat> I grew up with a need for speed. I did. I, I, I grew up liking to go fast. Okay, you've heard about my 1967 candy apple red Mustang. You're probably going to get sick of hearing it. But I like getting there and I like getting there quick. So now that I'm an adult and I'm supposed to have been somewhere seven minutes ago, and I have a 10-minute drive. You know, it's just an occasion to get to go fast. And I like it. There's something on the inside of me, in my nature, that says, hey, this is what I need to do. But I'm a pastor. And you know what my truck looks like. I know it says in the Bible that I'm supposed to obey the laws of the land. That's what God says about it. If I obey the laws of the land and, and trust God with my reputation and trust God with the outcomes, uh, then there's no need for me uh, to speed. But the thing is, is something on the inside of me says, <laughs> I can work this out on my own. You know? I, you know, I know it's wrong, but right now I'm late. Can anybody, can I get a witness, so to speak? <laughs> yeah. Everybody's going, oh me, preacher, you've just gotten the meddling right now. But preacher, it's just speeding. It, it is just speeding. The horrible thing about the word of God is it says that there's no sin that's any different than any other. Sin is sin. It's all declaring that we know better than what God knows. And, and, you know, I wish that hell was the only punishment for sin. I wish hell was the only outcome of sin. I really do. Because if hell was the only outcome of sin, we could get saved and then live our lives the way we want to and then die and go to heaven. Right? But the truth of the matter is, is that's not the case. 
The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Now, you may not drop dead on the spot, but whenever we begin to sin, whenever we begin to do things our way, a degree of death comes into our lives and as a result comes into this world. And as a result, things don't function the way they ought to in this world. In Galatians 5.19, it reads like this. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, let me give you a J. Reeves paraphrase for that. When you choose to do it your way over God's, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, manipulation, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, and wild parties. Pastor, how in the world did you go from speeding to all that? You don't think you can get there from there, can you? Have you ever heard of road rage? Have you? Have you ever had road rage? It's a man's desire to, to work things out on his own. To make it happen. To get a hold of the circumstances and gut it out and make it happen. The bad thing is, is that we've demanded to get our own way, but we don't know what to do with the consequences. The problem is, is we like to be in control. We want to decide what's right and wrong. We want to be our own standard. We want to depend on us instead of depending on God. And Jesus said to pray, forgive us our debts. You see, God's given us everything, and all he asks is that, he, that we trust him. And we can't do that. We haven't done that. We trust ourselves. We trust in other things. We look for peace in other directions. And as a result, the world's messed up. And a lot of times we blame God for it. But he didn't do it. Again, Will Willimon said, To reach out for forgiveness means that I am not the sole author of my life story. Nothing assaults the contemporary understanding of our lives more than to ask for forgiveness. Indeed, in putting forgiveness on the table for consideration, I now have learned that it is precisely my sinful desire to be the sole author of my life that creates my debts. So we're asking this petition to come out from behind our facade, to become exposed, vulnerable, empty-handed, to risk reconciliation to the one who has the power to forgive us. I don't get to say what's right and wrong. I'm not my own standard. So when we pray, forgive us our debt, it requires us to acknowledge that there is someone or some standard that is greater than our intellect and that we've broken it. Oh, that we've trespassed daily. That's right. I'm a sinner. I'm a debtor. I'm a trespasser. You know, we try to explain it away. We try to justify it and we try to make ourselves feel better. But the truth of the matter is, is that's just denial. And regardless of, of how much we try to reason and try to figure it out and try to gather people around us to tell us it's okay. Regardless of how many people agree with us and our excuses, the result is the same. Pain and damage remains. Regarding the role of honesty in our spiritual life, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it like this. He who is alone in his sins is utterly alone. 
And I add, if we're alone, where's the hope? Well, here's some good news. When Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts, it also reminds us of God's grace. Thank God. In Psalms 103, it says of God, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. The fact that Jesus says to pray, forgive us, means that God forgives. And we once again get to see God's heart toward us. Romans 8 says it like this, but God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God has reconciled himself to man in Christ. I love the old um, advertisement on TV for Motel 6. It says, we leave the light on for you. And it implies that we just want you to come home. We just want you to come. That is the grace of God. That is God having reconciled himself to mankind. He leaves the light on for us. But in 1 John 1, 9, it says this. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, and he will forgive us for our, of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We receive reconciliation to God in our humble confession. See, God has been reconciled to us in Christ. We become reconciled to him in confession. That means we agree. But why do I have to pray daily? Why do I have to ask for forgiveness daily? Well, the simple answer to that is because we sin daily. But, but Brother Jay, all my sins were forgiven in Christ, uh, past, present, and future. That's the truth. But there's a reason for us to confess daily, and I'm going to get to it. Just hold on. But it's tedious, and it hurts my self-esteem. And that's a terrible thing to hurt your self-esteem, isn't it? I love those after-school specials that say, believe in yourself. Well, they don't know me. I have let me down more than anybody else on this planet. So maybe hurting my self-esteem is not a bad thing. Maybe coming to a place where I don't trust myself is not a bad thing. Maybe coming to a place where I need to trust something bigger and more intelligent and somebody more righteous than me is not a horrible thing. So why is this even relevant? That's what we're all asking, really. Why is sin? Why is confession? Why is this? What does this have to do with us in the modern age? Because it's the way God shows his goodness in the face of our powerlessness. And why is that relevant? Because it's the way God changes hearts. And when God changes hearts, it's the way God changes the world. Romans 2.4 says it like this. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? You see, when we see God's goodness in the context of our lack of it, it'll change you. Have you ever wrestled with sin? Have you? I mean, one of those big, fat, juicy, grab you by the throat, can't help it, makes you want to die kind of sin. Okay, maybe I'm talking to the wrong crowd. All right. Okay, how about one of those persistent, irritating sins? Or maybe it's one of those, I'm trying to forget that 
kind of sin. I do, and I have. Don't look at me like that. The truth of the matter is, I know you have too. In 1 John 1, 8, again, it says if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. So if you aren't wrestling with a sin, if you're at a place where you go, I'm not sinning, there's a, a, a possibility that you've deceived yourself. As Christians, we have a sin nature. But because of what Christ did, we also have a new nature. So now we have a choice. The choice is to get my needs met God's way or to get my needs met my own way. I had one of those grab-you-by-the-throat sins for years. I had tried to justify it. I tried to explain it away. I tried to find people that would tell me it was okay. But deep down, I knew. I fasted. I prayed. I read scripture, I fellowshiped, and this thing haunted me and nearly destroyed me. I did everything I could do to shake the sin until I eventually got angry at God. I said, you've required me to do all this and I can't do it. And I felt like God said to me in the way that he speaks to me, I know. Which ticked me off even more. You mean you know that I can't do it you, you have required this of me and you know that I can't do it and then you're going to hold it against me? I, that's, it's not fair. I felt like God said that I needed to trust him and to trust his process. Well, what was the process? To live in fellowship with him, confess my sin, receive forgiveness, and then fellowship with him. And I hated it. I hated it. I stayed in connection with him um, by confession. And what I began to realize is that my salvation wasn't a thing. That my salvation wasn't a vent. My salvation was not a program. That God alone was my salvation. As I stayed in, in, in connection with him through confessing my sin and receiving forgiveness and returning to fellowship, I came to understand what the old hymn meant. Grace, grace. God's grace. Grace that is greater than all my sin. I had confessed what it seemed like a thousand times. And I got to the place where I expected one day to confess to him and him to say, okay, I'm done. For him to somehow look at me and go, okay, I'm writing you off. But every time I confessed my sin to him and took a step toward fellowship, he loved me back. He gave me signs of grace and continued to talk to me. And I call it the great love down. You know, the deal is, is if you walk up and slap somebody in the face, one time, and they look at you and they say, I love you. That's impressive. If you go back the next day and slap them in the face, and they say, I love you, that's impressive. If you do it the third day, it's impressive. But if you do it a thousand times, and all of a sudden you raise your hand and you realize something, and that is that you're the abuser, and the person standing in front of you is absolutely the most righteous person that you've ever, ever known. 
You see, the grace that saves us is also the grace that transforms us. And I'll tell you what happens in this process as, as, as you go through this, as you go through the humiliation, as you go through the, the pain of having to look at God and say, God, I did it again. I blew it. And you have to hear that loving, terrible voice say, come here, I love you. Over and over again, there eventually comes a point in time where you go to raise your hand and you can't do it. You can't do it because you know what he's going to say. And so this, this sin that had such a grip on me, the grip becomes less and less. God asked us to confess to him our sin. We're reconciled to him through Christ. And he is reconciled to us. In our humility. Well then the scripture goes on and says that we're to forgive our debtors. Well at this point in time, you know, with our arrogance checked. And we know that we can't change us by ourselves. And, and we have a heart that knows our helplessness. We're more likely to be able to forgive our debtors. I was pastor of a church that had um, services that were bigger than this one. And there was someone that hurt me to the core. Betrayed me in ways that I couldn't even begin to share with you in 20 minutes. Now when a pastor receives a hurt like that, you know what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to forgive, right? Because he's a professional Christian. He can do that stuff. Check off, go. I began to, to talk to God because I knew I had communion coming up. And in communion, I always said the invitation to the table, which says... God invites to his table all who repent of their sins and who seek to live at peace with God and with others. But I had hatred in my heart. I hated that person. And I knew that I was going to have to serve communion. I was going to have to invite people to the table that I couldn't kneel down at. And I began to ask God to deal with me and to help me forgive that person. And, and, and I expected God just to go poof and the feelings to be gone. A Sunday passed, the feelings were still there. Another Sunday came and the feelings were still there. And another Sunday came and I still was dealing with the feelings. And it came the day that I was supposed to do the communion. And I was still crying out to God, God, I've got this in my heart. Help me. Time and service came that I was supposed to serve the communion. And I invited people to the table. And the person that was helping me served me. And he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to me. And he said, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And then he took the cup and this was intention. And he said, this is the, body, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And I dipped the bread in the cup. And when I did, I over dipped. And as I withdrew it, the juice spilled out into my hand and at that moment I heard the voice of God in my spirit the way God talks to me and he said the blood of my son is on your hands and I forgive you in that moment I forgave that person for the first time for the first time 
Some of y'all are going, but what about the pain? Pain didn't go away. I'd love to tell you that the pain disappeared like that. It didn't. I love the way Tony Evans talks about forgiveness. He said, he said, you know, in churches they have these huge bells. And a lot of times they have these bell ringers. And they grab the rope and they swing the bell, uh, swing the, the, the clicker to one side. And it goes bing, bong, bing, bong, bing. And they're so big that when it comes time to stop, they don't grab the rope and hold it. Because it would actually snatch them off, you know, into, the, uh, into oblivion. But, but they merely let go of the rope. And what happens is the bell goes bing, bong, bing, bong, bing, bong, bing. Now what I'm saying this morning is some of you have been hurt really bad. And you grabbed a hold of that rope of, of bitterness, of unforgiveness, and you've been swinging that. I'm not going to tell you to let go of the rope by yourself. What I want you to hear is this this morning. I want you to hear that God wants to heal you. That you don't need anything from that other person. That God is able to heal your wounds. I want you to hear that God is able to redeem your circumstance. I want you to hear that in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your hurt, God can still be incredibly good. I want you to hear God say, I'll take care of this. Let go of the rope. Now just like the bell, the pain won't go away right then. But over time, as you trust God, it will. So God said, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are in debt to us. It kind of puts things in perspective. He's given us his grace. All we have to do is confess, acknowledge that we need it, that his way is, is the way. And he's also given us the grace that allows us to let go of the rope. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much that you know more than we do. Father God, I thank you that your grace is greater than all our sin. Father God, I thank you that it says in your word in Isaiah 40 that you've given us double the payment for our sin. And there's somebody here right now that needed to hear that. You feel like you've run out of God's grace. You haven't. You're not even halfway through it. But not only have you forgiven us, and not only have you set us free from the idea of hell, but you've also begun the process of sanctification. As we stay connected with you, you are the one that gives us righteousness. It's not our own efforts. And Father God, you're also the one that gives us the hope that allows us to let go of the rope. Father God, thank you so much for this prayer and what Jesus said.
that we should forgive our debtors. And that you forgive our debts. In Jesus' name, amen.